This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah 52 this morning. If you were joining in uh, by way of video, let me encourage you to have that Bible uh, open with you so you can follow along in the scripture as we dig into it. So we're talking today about the victory of God. You heard in all three of the songs that we just sung something about God reigning And that is what we see here in Isaiah 52. We're going to look um, at verses 7 through 12 of Isaiah 52 this morning. And let me encourage you just to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, beginning with verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices, shouting for joy together, for every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Be joyful, Rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Leave, leave, go out from there. Do not touch anything unclean. Go out from her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. For you will not leave in a hurry, and you will not have to take flight, because the Lord is going before you, and the God of Israel is your rear guard. Father, we thank you that um, if we are in Christ, that you are constantly present with us as we just, as we just sung. Um, you, you, go, you are the one who goes before us. You are the one who stands behind and as we see here in, in, in verse 12, you're, you're going before us. You are our rear guard. We are, we are covered in every direction as your children in Christ. And as we think about the good news about your son, and as we think about the victory that you have won through your son, we pray that the message of this good news would cause us to rejoice and would cause us to go forth with the joyful announcement that you rule and reign and you are doing that through your servant, your son, Jesus, who has won the victory um, through his suffering on our behalf, his death, his resurrection, uh, his ascension, his exaltation, and his return. And so it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. In the 1896 Olympic Games, which were held in Athens, there was a new track and field sport that made its debut 
in those Olympics, and it was the, the marathon race. And it's appropriate that the, the beginning of the marathon as an Olympic sport began in games that were held in Athens because the, the legend of the marathon runner has to do with Athens as well. According to legend in 490 BC, when the, the Greeks were battling the Persians at Marathon, which is about 25, 26 miles, roughly the length of a marathon race, uh, Marathon's about that distance from Athens. So according to legend, the, the battle was taking place in Marathon. The Greeks won the battle and they dispatched a runner a messenger to go forth and to run from Marathon, the 25 or 26 miles into the city of Athens and to announce victory. And so this first marathon runner supposedly ran this distance, ran into the city of Athens and made the joyful announcement, rejoice, we conquer. Now, that is the kind of scene that our text today opens up with in verse 7. Because the picture that we see here in verse 7 is of a, a, a runner, the feet of the herald, who is traversing over these rugged mountains around Jerusalem, running toward the city, and then this, this runner runs into Zion, into the city of Jerusalem, and he announces this good news, your God reigns. It's not the announcement that your army has triumphed, it is the announcement that God has triumphed, that God has won the victory. So what do we see here? in this text. Well, it begins with this joyful announcement that we see in verse 7. So let's look at it again. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So imagine being a resident of an ancient city like this. And your army is battling outside the gates of your city, and you know that your fate depends on the outcome of that battle. Imagine knowing that if your army is victorious in the battle, that they're going to come marching triumphantly through the gates of your city, but if your army loses the battle, it is going to be the enemy that is going to come marching into your city to pillage and to plunder and to murder. I mean, that's, that was the situation here with, with ancient cities and with ancient battles. Everything was riding on the outcome of the battle and there was gonna be a messenger with good news or bad news. In Ken Burns's great documentary on World War II, he tells the story of the Battle of Iwo Jima, 
uh, or rather uh, Guadalcanal in the South Pacific. And the Battle of Guadalcanal uh, stretched on really for, for months. But there came a point in time when there was a, a, a battle at sea between the American Navy and the Japanese Navy. And the American Marines that were on the island of Guadalcanal knew that their fate rested entirely on the outcome of this naval battle that was taking place a few miles offshore. And so this particular naval battle happened at night. And so all night long, these American Marines could, could, could hear the explosions of these shell, shell bursts, and they could see the, uh, the, the fires of ships that had been hit that were burning out in the ocean. And they didn't know who was winning the battle, but they knew that their outcome, their, their fate depended on the outcome of that battle. They knew that if the American Navy won the battle, that, in, that likely they would survive. And they knew that if the Japanese Navy won, that the Japanese would be able to land uh, forces in overwhelming numbers and that they would either be killed or taken as prisoners of war by the Japanese, which could mean uh, torture and, 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 and murder. And so uh, in the documentary, these, these old Marines that were on Guadalcanal are talking about that night. And they were like, you know, we could, we could hear and see kind of this naval battle that was raging offshore. And, and, and we knew that everything, everything about our fate depended on the outcome of that battle. That's, that's the situation here for Zion, for Jerusalem. And so the people are breathless with anticipation, with, with news, with, with news to, to, that, to come. And they can look out and they can see this runner. And he's approaching over the mountains, over this rugged terrain, these mountain trails. And they can look out and they can see as the runner gets closer, they can see that there's a spring in his step. In fact, he's kind of halfway running and halfway dancing. <laughs> and there, were, there was, would have probably been a, a part of a palm tree, a palm frond in his hand, which is a symbol of victory. And so the closer that the runner gets, they can begin to see, oh, this is going to be good news. He's coming with good news. Even the, just, the, just, the, just seeing the feet of that runner making his way with good news, Th those feet were the most beautiful sight they had ever seen. It meant their freedom, their salvation, their liberation. And so he comes into the city, sweat pouring and out of breath, and, but with all the strength that he can muster he makes this joyful announcement. Your God reigns. God reigns. And, and when God reigns, what does he bring with him? He brings peace, the shalom of God. He makes things as they should be. Everything wrong is righted. Everything out of place is put in place. And he brings salvation, rescue, freedom, freedom from bondage, and most of all, bondage to sin and death. But how does God win the victory over sin and death? 
So what comes next in Isaiah right after this passage? What's the very next thing? Right after verse 12 from Isaiah 52, 13, all the way through Isaiah 53 is the final song about the servant, Jesus. And what we're going to see, and we're going to take the next two weeks, next week and the week after, to unpack this final servant song. What we see in this final servant song is that the servant has triumphed through his suffering and sacrifice and death for sinners, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and that now the servant is exalted. And so what we see here is that the good news is that God reigns He has won the victory over sin and death. And how has he done that? It is through the work of the suffering servant, his son, that we're going to see all the way from 52.13 through chapter 53. And so now our calling is to be heralds and to send out more heralds with this good news that God is reigning, that he has won the victory, and that he has done it through the work of Christ. And so it is no accident that in one of the primary missions texts in the New Testament that Paul quotes from Isaiah 52, 7, Romans 10, and verses 14 and 15. Paul says, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and here he quotes Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul is saying here that in order for people to be saved, they have to call upon the name of the Lord, right? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can people call on him and they've not believed in? And how can they believe if they've never heard about him? And then how can they hear unless someone tells them the good news, makes this joyful announcement? But how can people go to all the nations unless they are sent. They have to be sent and supported. So that's what our church is about, right? We, we pray for this good news to get to every people. Um, we pray, sometimes some of us get to go ourselves, short-term or long-term, But all of us are called to be senders, senders of heralds with this joyful announcement to the nations. Every time that you give through our church, you are a herald sender. You are sending out heralds to the nations to make this joyful announcement. That's the first thing that we see. Second thing we see here is uninhibited celebration. (laughs) 
Uninhibited celebration. Look at verse eight. The voices of your watchmen. They lift up their voices, shouting for joy together, for every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. So, the first people who would have seen a runner like this approaching the city would have been the watchmen up on the wall. They had the vantage point where they could look out. It was really cool a few years ago in Jerusalem to be able to take a special tour of, of on top of the walls or wide enough so that you can walk on top of them. And so I got to take this tour on, on top of the wall that surrounds the old city of Jerusalem. So we walked all the way around the perimeter of the old city on top of the wall. And that's the vantage point where these watchmen that verse eight is talking about, they could look out and they were the first ones to see this runner approaching and they can tell. They can tell by the looks of things. He is coming with good news and when they realize that, they just explode. These watchmen just explode with joy. They are shouting, they are jumping up and down. And then what happens is that the people down below in the city take their cues from the watchmen. They can see the reaction of the watchmen and then they know it's good news. And then everybody just spills out onto the streets and there is just this uninhibited celebration. Look at verse nine. Be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Um, so now the celebration is spread from the watchmen to all the people. Everybody is out in the streets celebrating but they're doing it in a battle-scarred city. He refers to it here in verse nine as you, you ruins of Jerusalem, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem. They are battle-scarred. It's been a war. The city has been through a lot. The people have been through a lot. But yet they're out there celebrating. Why? Because this good news has changed everything. In Laura Hillenbrand's amazing book, Unbroken, uh, she tells about the, the day when the, the American prisoners of war in a Japanese POW camp in Japan heard that the war was over. And they had, they had gone out to, to bathe in this river uh, Louis Zamperini, who's the main character in Unbroken, and, and his fellow POWs, they're, they're out there in this river in Japan outside of their, their POW camp, and they're, they're out there bathing, and they, they, can, they can hear it first, and then they can see it. There's this plane approaching. It's a big old bomber, and it's coming straight for them. And at first, they were terrified because they didn't know if they were going to get strafed or, or, or what. But the closer that the plane got, they could look up and they could see underneath the, the two wings, the big white stars <laughs> in big blue circles. It was an American plane. And then they could see the red code light that was blinking. It was blinking out a message. And the message is the war is over. We have 
one. And Laura Hillenbrand describes what happens next. As the plane turned loops above, the pilot waving, the POW swarmed into the compound out of their minds with relief and rapture. The fear of the guards of the massacre they had so long awaited was gone. The prisoners jumped up and down, shouted and sobbed. Some scrambled onto the camp roofs, waving their arms and singing out their joy to the pilot above. Now bear in mind, these guys are still in Japan. In fact, they're not only still in Japan, they're still in a POW camp in Japan. They're emaciated. Many of them are wounded, either physically or mentally, emotionally scarred with inner wounds as as well. And they're still there. They're still in the POW camp and they're still in this condition, but they're rejoicing. Why? Because of news. Because of news of victory. The good news changes everything. And for us, the good news changes everything. Because we're still living in a fallen world with lots of problems and pain and sin and death. We're still living in these these perishable bodies and bodies that are subject to you know, disease and sickness and aging and death and, 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 and all of that. We're still in the midst of this fallen world living in perishable bodies, but we can rejoice. Why? Because the good news has come. Because we know that in Christ, our, our sin debt has been paid for, that we are forgiven that we are going to have an eternity with Christ. We know that Christ is going to come again and that we're going to be raised with imperishable bodies, glorified bodies that will not be subject to sin and death and suffering and all of that. All of that will be in the past and it won't be long. It's going to be it's going to be not long at, at all, even if we live a very long life. It's just, that's our, it's just going to be a drop in the bucket compared to the eternity, the glorious future that we have because of the work of Christ. So look, that news has come to us, right? So rejoice, rejoice, yes. We're still living in a fallen world with all the problems that, that brings, but rejoice, Right, this life in this fallen world is very temporary. Because of the victory of, of Jesus, you know, we've, we've got forever um, in a new heaven and earth with him. Uninhibited celebration. Third, leaving your old life. Leaving your old life. Look at verse 11. God says, leave, leave. Go out from there. Do not touch anything unclean. Go out from her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. So what he's talking about here is that there was going to come a time when the exiles in Babylon were going to be allowed to leave and to go back home to Israel, to Jerusalem. And so remember, Isaiah is speaking here to these exiles 
And, and so these people are, they're, they're exiles in Babylon, far from their homeland. But God is saying here, there's gonna come a day when you're gonna be able to go back home. We've been seeing this, right? We've been seeing the prophecy that, you know, that, uh, that Cyrus was gonna issue this decree that the Jews could return to their homeland, return to Jerusalem. And verse 11 is picturing when they get that news. And God says, when that news comes to you that you can go back home, you leave, you depart. You go out from there. You, you purify yourselves. You're gonna carry the vessels of the Lord back to the temple. Purify yourselves and you get ready to go home and you leave, you get out of Babylon. So that's in its original context is talking about that on a kind of a, a, you know, a, a micro level, but on a macro level, this is a message here for all of us because in scripture, Babylon is associated with sin. It's associated with your old life of sin, and God is saying to us here, leave the old life, leave it behind, depart, get out of there, repent. Leave the old life and move toward the better thing that God has prepared for you, the new life that God has prepared for you. But look, the old life can get very familiar. You know what, life in Babylon got familiar to the exiles. The great Isaiah scholar, uh, John Oswalt, says this, the day would come when trembling Jews would be called on to leave familiar Babylon behind in the daring belief that God had something better for them in the unknown homeland. And it was an unknown homeland to many of them. By the time that the decree was issued that these exiles could go home, for many of them, Babylon was the only place that they knew. <laughs> there have been generations of people that, you know, that had been born in, in Babylon and raised there. Even the ones that had memories of being in Israel, they were distant memories long, long time ago. Babylon had become familiar to them and to just kind of pick up and leave and to go to a place that they had not known, that in a way it was scary to kind of leave what was familiar. And see, we get familiar with our old life. There, there's some, some of you probably who are listening to this message today and, and you're reluctant to follow Jesus because you know that it means leaving what's familiar to you. And yeah, there are a lot of things about your old life that are, that are, are miserable, but still it's like it's, we get in a comfort zone and it's familiar to us. And to, and to just kind of leave all of that and go into a, a, a new life that's, that we haven't known before, it, it can be kind of scary. I wanna to say to you, God's got something so much better for you. So much better for you. Just step out in faith and trust him. Move toward him. Move toward him and he'll be with you every step of the way. And even for those of us who are, who are in Christ, we can get comfortable in kind of 
stuff that's familiar to us and kind of our own little comfort zone. And sometimes our comfort zone in, includes things like habitual sins and junk that we need to leave behind. But we can get, we can get comfortable and familiar with patterns of, 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 of thinking and, and ways of living that are not godly, they're wrong, it's, it's stuff that we need to ditch and leave behind, but it gets familiar to us. And, and God's calling you today, depart from that. Depart, leave. Leave that junk behind. God has got something so much better in store for you. You move toward him and when you do that, he's going to be with you every step of the way. That's what verse 12 is all about. He says, for you will not leave in a hurry, and you will not have to take flight, because the Lord is going before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You can know that with every step, God is going to be going before you. He's going to have, he's going to have your front. <laughs> he's going to have what's coming before you. He's got that. He's your rear guard. God's got your back. He's got your front. He's got your back. And that's because he's got you. He's got you. And you can count on that. Just trust him and move toward him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible good news of this gospel. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to go forth and to make this joyful announcement as heralds of good news to people that you put in our path every day and that you would make us faithful to give so that others may be sent to the nations. We pray that there would be a joy about our lives that is contagious because we have received and believed and taken in this incredible good news about Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to repent, to leave behind the old life. And Father, I know for some that are listening, that, that, means, that, means, that means turning from a life apart from you and turning to Jesus and trusting him as Savior and Lord and King. Father, I pray that you would right now, by the power of your spirit, just, just bring forth new life as people turn from their old life and turn to you and welcome Jesus into their lives as their Savior and Lord and King. Father, for those of us who are in Christ, but we've got stuff in our lives, old stuff, stuff that doesn't have any place in the new life in Christ, old stuff, junk that we need to leave behind, Lord, give us the grace to repent and to, and to, and to leave that because your will and your way and what you have in front of us 
as we move toward you, toward home, is just so much better, so much better than anything that sin or this world could ever offer. And Lord, we thank you that all of this has been provided for us because of the work of your son who suffered on our, our behalf. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.